I am wrapping up a series on Gospel Connections, how to connect the gospel to fill in the blank. I have done how to connect the gospel to physical suffering, how to connect the gospel to being left alone. I just did one on connecting the gospel to parental discipline. I have two more, uh, how to connect the gospel to arguments and how to connect the gospel to evil and unfairness. Someone just posted on the forum today talking about the evil and unfairness in this world, why people die, why good people die, and those questions that, well, all of us have thought about yet. You, you can't help but think about yet. There is evil and unfairness in our world, and we want to know how to connect the gospel to that, as well as arguments and parental discipline and being left alone and physical suffering. And in today, I have one, I think this might be the final installment, but we will see. This one is called How Paul connected the gospel to personal suffering. I thought it would be good to bring Paul's center stage since, well, he he wrote so much of the New Testament, and we love him so much, and he had so much to say, and he suffered, and he lived victoriously, and he is a model, as he told us in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we want to follow him as, as he did follow Jesus. And if you do that, you will have to walk down a path of suffering. Therefore, you must know how to connect the gospel in a practicalized way to personal suffering. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to your daily drive. You can read everything that I'm going to share with you on our website. Use that title, How Paul Connected the Gospel to Personal Suffering, and and you'll be okay. You will find it. You'll find all these other gospel-connected articles as well, the ones that I listed out for you. They are at the upper third of this article, and so you can click on those and and read them. And of course, you can read every word of this one and then share it with a friend or two, and that would be fantastic. Rebecca, thank you so much for becoming a supporting member today. She was out on YouTube looking at our videos. If you don't know that, please go to YouTube and you can subscribe to our videos. We have been putting out a bunch of them, more than 20 uh, over the past six weeks, and we're going to continue to churn out videos. People are sheltering in place during this season of our lives, and, and they're consuming content, and so we want ours to be front and center. And so Rebecca was out there, and she said something like, Keep them coming. Well, Rebecca, we're going to try to do that, and we can because you are helping us, and I'm so glad uh, that the Lord motivated you to support this little old ministry. I'm very thankful. There's a lot involved in doing what we do, and there's there's a handful of people involved as well. Just had a wonderful meeting with our web development guy, uh, Jonathan, and we've been meeting with him regularly over the past couple of months as we're working out things on our website, and we're adding things. we got some good ideas that are coming down the pike, and I'm excited about it. And it's because of you, Rebecca, that we are able to do that. We want to give you all a pleasant user experience. It has not always been that way, uh, but I'm thankful that we're, we're getting our ship in shape. And 
I'm very grateful for you, Rebecca, and the rest of you who support this ministry. How Paul connected the gospel to personal suffering. Paul had a gospel-centered perspective on personal suffering. In 1 Corinthians 12, a passage of Scripture that you are familiar with. If you are not, if you're new to this thing called Christianity and you haven't made your way over to that part of the New Testament, I do encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and you will learn in that passage of Scripture that the Lord gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. Now, some people have a hard time with that, but that that is in the active voice. The Lord gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. The action is moving from the Lord to Paul. God gave him, and, and Paul acknowledged that. It reminds me of Jonah 1, where it says that the Lord hurled a, a storm at Jonah. The Lord did that. The, the metaphorical picture there is, is the Lord using an anthropomorphic expression, meaning we are attributing human appendages appendages to the Lord. So it's a picture of the Lord holding a spear. The anthropomorphic expression is God's arm and hand holding a, a spear. Of course, God is spirit. He has neither hand nor arm. Uh, but the way it's written there, and we see that it was the Lord who threw, hurled, hurled a storm at Jonah, and it does happen. And, and Paul was saying a similar thing here, that the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now, we are unsure what his thorn was. Most Christians generally agree that it was a physical debilitation of some sort, and I'm good with that. I will go with that. I don't need to know. I don't spend a lot of time arguing. In fact, I spend virtually no time arguing from silence, and the Scripture is silent there, but I think I'll just take it as a physical debilitation, and, and that was the thorn. Now, I have already written how to connect the gospel to physical suffering, and you can click on that hyperlink here inside this article, and it will take you to that one. I'm talking specifically about physical suffering in that article, but here what I want to do is I want to address a gospel connection to personal suffering of any kind, no matter what it is. And so whatever you're going through, this is appropriate for you, whatever age you are, whatever relational context you are in, whatever your situation may be, it is imperative for you to be able to connect the gospel. The gospel is the person and work of Christ. He is the great news that came. He is the good news. He is the gospel. And so to connect Christ, the gospel, to your suffering, you first want to gain Paul's perspective on the gospel before we talk about the suffering. And one of the ways that you can do that, he gave us a succinct understanding, a worldview, a presuppositional starting point to think about the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And that is a passage. That is the first letter to the Corinthians. The thorn in the flesh is the second letter, chapter 12. But in the first letter, chapter 1, specifically verses 18 through 25, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. 
As you listen, I'm going to share part of that passage with you, and as you listen to his view of the gospel, you do want to go ahead and begin to make those mental connections in your mind of what Paul is saying as he's talking about his thoughts on suffering in 2 Corinthians 12. And so you want to connect 1 Corinthians 1 to 2 Corinthians 12. You want to connect the gospel to the thorn in the flesh. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 1. I'll give you verse 18, and then I'll give you 23 through 25. You can read it all at some point if you wish. I hope you do. It's really good. Paul said, for the word of the cross is folly. Folly, you could say foolish. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There are two groups of people here. There are those who are perishing, and there are those who are being saved. For those who are perishing, the gospel is folly. You don't want to be in that camp. Now, now some of you, you could, you could stretch this out and say that there are many Christians who really can't get their minds around the cross, around the gospel, around the good news of Christ, and they're not perishing in the context of what Paul is saying here, but they are struggling they are struggling. If you want to see the gospel as the, the power of, of God, you have to deal with the foolishness of the cross, as he says here. But he says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Christ dying on the cross was a stumbling block for the Jewish person. I think if I was standing there at Calvary on that day, I, uh, it would be a stumbling block to me. Peter was standing there. It was a stumbling block to him. There were a lot of Jewish people standing there stumbling all over the place. It made no sense to them. If Christ was God in the flesh and the Savior of the world, as the Christians taught, why would he die? The Jewish person stumbling. But the Greeks had an even lower view of a crucified Savior. It was foolish to their intelligent minds. You know, there are some people who are so sophisticated. They're really the smart ones in our, our culture. And unfortunately, because of their smartness and their intelligence and their sophistication, the Bible is too base for them. It's a fable. It is a fictional account from for people who need a, a crutch in order to get along with life. A dying Savior is no Savior at all. His death was a foolish and ignorant attempt to bring hope to those people who, who needed a crutch. And so the intelligent ones, the Greeks and, and the stumblers, the Jewish people, fallen all over the place. The unspoken question is, how can brokenness create wholeness or healing? You see, you, you can't listen to 1 Corinthians 
18, chapter 1, verse 18 and following. You, you can't read that in a, and disconnect yourself from either group, whether you're a Jew or a Greek. It doesn't matter. I mean, we both stumble and, and we see it as hard to grasp in our intelligent minds because we're asking the same question, how can brokenness create wholeness or healing? God's view of a dying Savior was utterly antithetical to the Greek and Jewish way of thinking. From the sovereign Lord's perspective, the cross of Christ was, here it is, wisdom and strength. Brokenness is wisdom. Brokenness is strength. Struggling, dying, wisdom, strength. Christ willful giving up of his life on a cruel cross was veiled brilliance and unspeakable power. Perhaps you're struggling like the Jewish or Greek thought leaders of Paul's day. I've had battles in my mind, too. The problem that we have with evil is not unimportant or out there somewhere as though it's not affecting us. You suffer, I suffer, we suffer. You know folks who are going through hard things. Someone just posted on our community forum today asking this question. Why do good people die? Why is there death for little ones, babies, and a whole bunch of just a collection of questions the individual was, was asking? These are things that we have to think about. It's your worldview about suffering that sets the trajectory for how you will live your life. Whether you spend time thinking about it or, or not does not hinder its effect on you or your relationships. You say, well, I don't want to spend time thinking about it. I'll bury my head in the sand. I'll just ignore it. Well, okay, you do that. But, but, but it's still, you, you still will be affected by it. It will affect you. The problem of evil and suffering because it's all around us. Now, my hope is that wisdom and reality provoke you to consider how Paul perceived and reacted to evil, particularly the personal suffering that intruded into into his life. Paul prayed like any of us should when afflicted by personal suffering. You know what he said. I mean, he was in pain, and he, he wanted God to extract it. Isn't that how you, how you pray? I shared one time before as I was standing in a, a group meeting of a bunch of, a bunch of preacher boys when I was in Bible college, and my wife had left. I'd lost my children, and things were not going all that swell, and and they were singing, when we all get to heaven, love that song. And I was crying, tears were rolling down my eyes. My Baptist bros looked over at me, and they just thought, he's so spiritual. He's so close to God. He's just thinking about Jesus in heaven. Actually, I was thinking about suicide. I was, <laughs> I was thinking, Lord, if you got a bus coming through today, oh, how sweet it would be to be in, in heaven because this pain is just unbelievable. I want you to extract it. Paul persisted in his prayers as he asked God repeatedly to remove the thorn that the Lord gave to him. I understand why he prayed that way. I mean, even today, my, my personal suffering today, I mean, you know, bad back, I guess some other things wrong with me, and sometimes the internet's slow. But, but it doesn't matter. I haven't changed a whole lot in that way. I, I don't like personal suffering. All right, listen to how Paul talked about it. Now we're in 2 Corinthians 12. You've got his view on the gospel in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and following. 
skip a letter. Now we're in 2 Corinthians, all the way at the end of it, near about. 2 Corinthians 12, he said this, to, so, to keep, sorry, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, you do have to think about that, right? I, I know that you're not conceited. I'm not conceited, right? But but you know we do have a problem. We do have this issue with with just thinking that we're a little more than than we really are. And, and so, in God's mercy to Paul to keep him from becoming conceited, he said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. He hurled a storm at Jonah. Paul said, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Oh, Lord, bring that bus by. I'm ready to get to heaven. What a joyful time it will be. But no, we're in the here and now, and I'm not taking you to heaven. It's not time for that. You're going to suffer here a little bit because you're going to see crazy power come out of you through your brokenness and and weakness. Now, the primary thing, I'll get to that in just a moment, but the primary thing I want you to hear right now in Paul's words is his tone. I have to insert this here because I really don't want you to miss it. Do you hear his tone? What you don't hear is a complaint as he tells you about what is happening to him. You see, the thorn never left his life. And so it's not like the thorn left, he got healed, whatever that may be. And then you listen to his tone and he doesn't sound bitter at all. No, he's living it. This is real time happening to Paul. And what you don't hear is a complaint as he tells you what was happening to him. There are two ways you can share your problems. You can share your problems with faith and hope, or you can share them without faith and hope. The first sharing is a God-centered person who does not ignore what is happening, but communicates those problems from a faith-filled perspective. One of the things that I listen to When people write on our forums, I listen to how they write, how they communicate their problem. Many do not communicate from a perspective of faith and hope. Now, I don't ping them on that. Don't don't even say anything to them, but I'm, I'm listening. I'm making notes because it tells me where they are. It's just that they're not at the place where they need to be. That's all it's telling me. It's a data point. And so I don't, I don't condemn them or criticize them because they're not at that place, but I do want to listen to them to see how they are communicating. The God-centered person does not ignore their suffering, but they communicate from a faith-filled perspective. The second type of communicator is problem-centered. Now, if you are problem-centered, and it is important that you address that, that somebody addresses that in the individual's life, because that is the starting point. The problem-centered is the starting blocks that's going to lead to a whole lot of problems, like, like bitterness. The, the path of bitterness begins from the problem-centered heart person. And, and so it's okay in quotation marks, it's okay if you communicate from a problem-centered perspective, if that's where you are at this moment, but you cannot stay there because if you progress from that perspective, then it's only going to get worse for you. That's why I want to bring this idea of tone up. As you listen to Paul talk in 2 Corinthians 12, his tone is, is really 
really good. God had another direction for Paul's life, and though it is counter to how the self-esteem gurus and the prosperity peddlers lead us, the Lord was clear that real power comes from our weakness. I want to share with you more of the text of 2 Corinthians. I gave you verses 7 and 8 where God gave him the thorn in the flesh. Here's the next four verses, 7 through 12. He said this, But the Lord said to me, quote, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. Now is Paul talking. God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, Therefore, conjunction, conjunction in English joins two thoughts. It connects two thoughts. The word therefore connects what God said to what Paul said. And Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If this is how I experience the power of Christ, then I'm going to boast all the more in my weaknesses. He goes on to say in the next sentence, for, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. That's why I said earlier, connecting the gospel to, to any suffering that you go through. Paul is stringing together here a, a list of types, different kinds of suffering. I am content with one, weaknesses, two, insults. You ever been insulted? Are you content with insults? I need some work on that one. Number three, hardships. Number four, persecutions. Number five, calamities. And then the last sentence is, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Weak is the gospel, Christ dying on the tree, and we know that it was wisdom and power. What you don't hear is how long it took Paul to transition from the reality of his condition, the thorn in the flesh, to accepting God's counterintuitive response. You remember that conjunction I was talking about earlier? God said this, then Paul responded, therefore I will boast all the more gladly. It's an argument from silence. I, I don't know how long it took Paul to to whip around and to transition to expect, to accepting that. After the Lord presented Paul with the gospel-impregnated statement, my power is made perfect in weakness, the next sentence begins with the conjunction, therefore, which is Paul's response to an unchanging hardship. The gap between God's declaration and Paul's acceptance is unknown. Now, I think it would be appropriate to biblically ex uh, speculate that everyone will not stand at attention the first time they realize God is going to use them through weaknesses, not their successes. And so don't beat yourself up if you can't stand at attention and salute the flag and say, yes, yes, Lord, I will, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see in Paul's statement after the bad news that he not only understood the counterintuitive nature of the gospel, weakness, but that he, he could now boast in his hardships that made him a weak man. Paul had connected the dots from the gospel 
to his suffering. At some point in time, Paul was able to boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. Paul was now able to to live out a practicalized gospel in a personal and radical way, as noted in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I want you to hear the parallel thoughts regarding the gospel and Paul's suffering in the two texts that I've, I've mentioned to you in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 1, the weakness of God is stronger than humanity, the stumbling Jews and the intelligent Greeks. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, for when you are weak, then you are strong. Though the gospel appears to be weak, it is much stronger than any human can produce. Though suffering may appear to be a weakness to the human psyche, God can do more through brokenness than we can do through optimal strength and health. Paul was a mature believer who not only understood the irony of the gospel, but was able to bring that gospel irony to bear on one of the more difficult ways a person must accept excuse me, must accept the calling of the gospel-centered life through personal suffering. Now, in theory, many Christians will yes and amen these undeniable truths. We will even sign off on them as we listen to the stories from our heroes of the faith, then and now, the old ones those who have passed on, and the new ones. As we hear their stories, we sign off on it. Yes, yes, amen. But the real question is your willingness and your ability to practicalize these ideas to your suffering today. And we know that this part is the hard part. Now, one of the things I want to caution you here, one of the things that you don't want to do is to equate victory with joy, thinking that you're working under the strength of God because a uh, thinking that you're you're not working under the strength of God because you don't have the joy of the Lord. Some people will equate victory to joy. Now victory and joy should be connected, but victory is not always joy. You're not always experiencing joy when there is a victory happening in your life. Both of those things can be true but not at the same time. There were days, there will be days, and there have been days in your life where you had victory and the joy of the Lord, and and it was exhibited, and, and people saw it and felt it and experienced it. But there are other days where you had victory and and joy had not come yet. The morning was not here. Some of the Lord's most powerful messengers are weeping prophets. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Sometimes strength and sorrow produce incredible grace-empowered strength. And that's why I'm saying I don't want you to beat yourself up because you may be producing a lot of strength. God may be producing a lot of strength through you, even though you are experiencing a very, very difficult time. I have seen many of the Lord's suffering servants exhibit crazy strength, even in their grief or hardship. Some may think that victory in Jesus only happens when you're skipping across the mountaintops. Well, it can. It may be true. And it most definitely may be true if one of those mountaintops looks like Calvary. There was victory in Jesus on 
Calvary, you can be a powerful vessel for the Lord as you crawl through the valley of death too. Before you ever have victory in the valley or on the mountain, you must confront and agree with this idea of connecting to the gospel to your suffering. Without doing this, you won't have the hope that propels you to embrace your suffering with faith. Hope is the fuel that keeps you going to where you begin to evolve into a gospel-centered person. And so you must begin to buy in, to agree, to confess that this is true. I have to connect the gospel to my suffering. You have to buy into that whether you feel it or not, whether you're living in some kind of futuristic hoped victory or not. You may be crawling through the valley, but as you crawl through the valley, as you are suffering, you, you have to grab a hold and agree to this idea that, yes, I can connect the gospel to my suffering, and then hope, hope like Elijah going up on the mountain and seeing a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Well, eventually that cloud turned into a raging storm. And, and if hope is embryonic in your soul now, that's good enough. But you have, to, you have to confront this idea and agree that you must connect the gospel to your suffering. The title of this podcast and the article, How Paul Connected the Gospel to Personal Suffering. I have a call to action here, and I do want you to read it. And so jump on the article and do that. And if you want to talk to us, as always, let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.